0: Chapter six, how to seriously, like for real, change your habits. Perception is reality. When I was in seventh grade, I tried out for the soccer team. One day the coach said, who wants to try being goalie? I thought, why not? I like getting dirty. Since I was the only one still willing to play the position after day two, I got the job. If you've ever seen or played soccer, you know that the players wear shin guards and you need tall socks to cover them. The first time I played goalie, I didn't have any soccer socks yet, so I used an old pair of knee-high tube socks with these three big green stripes at the top. What can I say? No one ever accused me of being stylish. In my first game wearing my old school socks, I happened to play well and I stopped a few goals. I was so elated and frankly, surprised since I was kind of terrified of the ball at the time. And I decided that those knee-high green striped tube socks were my quote, lucky socks. (laughs) Honestly, if my mom had known then that that would mean washing the same pair of socks weekly for the next six years, she probably would have put the kibosh on the illusion of luckiness that I bestowed on those socks. Nevertheless, over the course of my soccer career, I wore those socks with great success. When I put on those socks, they gave me a sense of confidence. If someone came near my goal and I had my lucky socks on, that ball was mine. I played bigger and more aggressively when I took on the identity that I felt like the socks gave me. Were the socks actually lucky? Or did I play better when I was wearing them because I thought they were lucky? Scientists have actually done experiments to measure the impact of expectation on results. For example, in one experiment, Japanese scientists rubbed poison ivy on the arms of participants and waited to see how long it would take for their skin to break out into a rash. By the way, who would volunteer for such an experiment? But here's the crazy thing. While the participant's skin did break out into a rash, the plant was not actually poison ivy. Whoa. In another experiment, scientists told hotel maids that their everyday work burned about the same amount of calories as a true workout. And honestly, I can 100% believe that cleaning the house is hard work. A control group of maids was not told anything about the calorie burn of their work. In the test group, even though they did nothing different, after a few weeks, the maids that thought they were burning more calories lost weight and reduced their BMI. What we perceive is happening can actually affect our experience of what happens. It's called expectancy theory our expectation causes certain neurons to fire, and those neurons release neurotransmitters and hormones that literally impact the physiology of our bodies. In other words, your beliefs strongly influence your results because they impact both your effort and your physiology. So the way you perceive the world and yourself in it becomes the story you tell yourself about reality. And over time, that story becomes your identity. The self-identity you carry around in your head is very powerful. It can be empowering like I'm good at math or disempowering like I'm always late. Are these stories true? Not necessarily, but you make them true the more you tell yourself the same story. Beliefs are just thoughts that we've repeated over and over and thoughts are just sentences in your mind. Sentences are only true if we believe them. For example, I believe in Santa Claus, or I am not enough as I am. Those two examples are both just sentences. Neither is more or less true than the other. We give power to them only when we choose to believe them. How you label yourself internally makes a huge difference in your success long term. Your subconscious mind makes sense of the world through the lens of your identity Therefore, it is very invested in protecting and maintaining your identity as it is. When there's something you already believe, your brain is like a dog sniffing for a bone, looking for examples to prove it true. There are millions of bits of information coming at you every second. There's no way you could hold on to all of them in your awareness all at once. So the brain has designed a filtering system called the reticular activating system, often abbreviated RAS, to filter out things that don't matter to you and highlight the ones that do. So if you tell yourself, I'm always late, the RAS will highlight times when you were late and literally filter out times that you were actually on time. A lot of times the stories we tell ourselves come from past experience or from narratives we learned when we were growing up. Our brains can go to great lengths to prove old stories true we keep trying to make the existing narrative true because that's a lot more comfortable than questioning a long-held belief. (laughs) Just like your loud uncle who's deeply entrenched in his political views at Thanksgiving dinner, your brain really, really wants to be right and looks for any and all evidence to support its case. The good news is that your self-identity can change and evolve over time. Quote, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. Henry David Thoreau. The story you tell yourself leads to the actions you take, which creates your results. Disempowering stories lead to disappointing results. So how do you rewrite the limiting beliefs you have into something that empowers you? The first step is to uncover the limiting belief in the first place. Author and speaker, John Acuff, talks about how old thought patterns are like broken soundtracks in our brains. His advice for rooting out limiting beliefs is to write down a dream or desire, and then listen to the reaction. What thoughts come up? Listen to your brain. Then ask yourself three questions. Here are some examples. I wanna lose weight so that I can get out there and start dating again. Here are some thoughts that might come up. I can never lose weight for very long. Who would wanna date me looking like this? Ugh, I hate diet food. Then for each thought, ask yourself three questions. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it helpful? Does it move me forward or hold me back? And number three, is it kind? If I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? So let's walk through this example. First sentence is, I can never lose weight for very long. Question number one, is it true? Maybe. It's possible you have lots of evidence from the past that makes this thought feel really true. Question number two, is it helpful? No. Does it move me forward or hold me back? Yeah, it pretty much holds me back. Having a defeatist attitude is probably not going to help you feel motivated. Question three, is it kind? Yeah, no, not so much. If I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? Not likely. Can you imagine having coffee with a friend who tells you that they're trying to lose weight and you tell them, yeah, but you can never keep it off. Mm, I don't think you'd be friends with that person for very long. In this example, two out of the three questions are a no. Therefore, that thought is a limiting belief. So let's look at the next sentence. Who would want to date me looking like this? Question number one, is it true? Who knows? Though, if you go on a date thinking, why would this guy want to date me? That's probably not putting out the vibe that's going to attract the right person to you. Question number two, is it helpful? No. Does it move me forward or hold me back? Yeah, this thought definitely holds you back. Your brain will always look to find answers to the questions you ask yourself. If you tell your brain to find answers to who would want to date me looking like this, then your brain will filter for unhelpful answers. Question number three, is it kind? No. If I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? Nope. Saying that to a friend would probably be really hurtful. So once again, two and a half out of the three questions are no. So this thought is a limiting belief. The third thought is I hate diet food. Question number one, is it true? Maybe. There are probably some foods that you don't like, and that's natural. There are a lot of foods out there. Have you really given yourself a chance to like them? How might you look for healthy foods that you do like? Question number two, is it helpful? No. Does it move me forward or hold me back? This thought definitely holds you back telling yourself that you hate diet food becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and it traps you in junk food. Hell question. Number three, is it kind? Mm, Not really. If I said it to a friend, would they still be my friend? that's questionable. Again, imagine having coffee with a friend who tells you they're trying to lose weight and you tell them, but you hate diet food. You're shooting them down before they even get a chance to take off. When you ask yourself these three questions about whether or not a thought is a limiting belief, you're looking for three yeses. If they're not yeses, then the thought is a limiting belief, and it's not helping you. Another way to sniff out a limiting belief is that they often come attached to definitive words like always and never. For example, I always overdo it when I go out with my friends. Or I have no willpower when it comes to ice cream. Or I'll never be able to go on vacation and enjoy what I eat again. These words are a clue that your inner critic is talking and telling you a limiting belief. Once you've sniffed out a limiting belief, remove the definitive words and remove the context of weight loss. Then look for evidence of the opposite in your life outside the realm of diet and weight loss. So let's take this example. Let's say you have a limiting belief that says, I'm never successful with weight loss because I always give up when I get frustrated by lack of progress. Okay. Okay. Step number one was remove the definitive words and remove the context of weight loss. So if the old thought is, I'm never successful with weight loss because I always give up when I get frustrated by lack of progress, we just then say, I'm not successful because I give up when I get frustrated by lack of progress. So we remove the definitive words and we remove the context of weight loss. Step two, look for examples of the opposite outside the realm of weight loss. So the opposite of giving up is persevering, especially in the face of setbacks or lack of progress. So ask yourself, when in your life have you persevered despite setbacks or lack of progress? Hmm? Maybe in school, maybe with your family, maybe at work. Here's a story. One of my clients, Julia, she felt like a complete failure when it came to weight loss. She tried to lose weight so many times and she succeeded but it always came back and she felt so defeated and just ready to give up again. She told me, I always do this. I lose a few pounds and then I lose steam. Life gets busy and I get tired of working so hard to lose weight, so I give up. So I asked her, do you always give up? Let's look outside the realm of weight loss. When is an example of a time that you persevered through something that was meaningful to you, but it had its challenges? It turned out she had put herself through nursing school while raising her daughter. Working and going to school and raising a child were a lot to juggle. They certainly had their challenges. Yet she persevered. And now she enjoyed a meaningful career in nursing and her daughter was in high school. So I asked her what kind of character strengths it took her to accomplish all of that. And she said things like strength, courage, determination, not quitting even when it was hard. She already had what it took to keep going within her. She just needed to see it. So let me ask you, have you earned a degree? Maybe raised a child? Have you ever applied for a job? All of these are examples of things that are hard and require grit and perseverance and resilience in the face of challenges, even with little evidence of progress. And yet you persevered. You probably have quite a few examples of times that you were successful because you decided not to give up, even when you were frustrated by lack of progress. You clearly have those powerful character strengths within you. They are there. If you're looking for it, there is evidence in your life that you are strong, dedicated, and a resilient person that is capable of accomplishing really impressive things. But you have to be looking for that evidence in order to find it. When you focus on reasons why you can't achieve your goals, those obstacles loom large in your perception and they crowd out the possibility of success. Naturally, if you're constantly thinking about why you can't succeed, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Instead, how can you focus on the characteristics and strengths that would be necessary in order to achieve your goal? Then look into your past and find examples of how you've exhibited those character strengths before. How can you pull those same character strengths into your weight loss efforts? If you're struggling to find a time in the past when you've exhibited those character strengths, then think into the future. Who would you have to become to be the kind of person who can achieve your goals? And what's a small way you can live into who you want to become today? Your brain looks for evidence of what you're thinking when you think a thought over and over again, it becomes more true because your brain filters for evidence of it. That evidence influences your actions, making that belief become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your thoughts are incredibly powerful. Choose yours wisely. So circling back to the idea of looking out for definitive words like always and never, remember, step one was remove definitive words and remove the context of weight loss. Step two was look for examples of the opposite outside the realm of weight loss. Step three is ask better questions. When I first thought about writing this book, I thought, who would want to listen to me? Why would anyone read my book? As you might imagine, with such a helpful question in my mind, I procrastinated writing it for seven years. The brain is like a puzzle-solving machine input a question and an answer comes out. The quality of your questions determines your trajectory. If you ask yourself, who would want to date me looking like this, then your brain is going to come up with an answer. It's just that the answer isn't going to feel very good. Garbage in, garbage out. In addition, big scary questions like how am I going to keep up this intense workout program makes your brain freak out a little bit and go into self-sabotage mode. So why not hack into your brain's natural puzzle-solving programming with tiny, positive questions that A, don't trigger warning bells in your subconscious mind, and B, get your brain looking for ways to help you achieve the things you want in life. For example, what's wrong with me? Why can't I have any willpower? Can become, what's one helpful choice I made for myself today? Why won't the scale go down? Can become, what is something I appreciate in my body, no matter what the scale says? Uh, why did I do this again? I always go overboard on Oreos, can become, what's one little thing I learned from overeating last night? How can I possibly find time to meal plan when I'm so busy, can become, what can I do in five minutes a day to make me healthier? This little shift in questions allows the brain to focus on problem solving Ask the question often enough, and you'll find your brain turning it over to eventually come up with interesting solutions. So try and get clear on what you're saying in your mind and see how you can tweak those disempowering questions into something small that opens up your mindset. Quote, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. George Bernard Shaw. Are you a sprinter or a gardener? Janine had gone on a diet to lose weight for her daughter's wedding. She was seriously motivated to fit into her perfect dress and look amazing on her daughter's special day. And she did. However, I met Janine seven months after her daughter's wedding, when she had gained back 35 of the 40 pounds she had lost prior to the wedding. Janine created a goal for herself to reach a specific target weight in time for the wedding. She went on that diet like a runner sprinting towards the finish line with laser focus on the end goal. But what happens when you reach the finish line? The very nature of a diet is temporary. That temporary nature creates a hidden belief underneath that says you can, quote, go back to normal once you reach the finish line. The problem is, normal is what led to the weight gain in the first place. It is this kind of thinking that very predictably leads to the yo-yo dieting cycle of losing weight and gaining it back on. How many diets have you tried in the past? Keto? Paleo? Weight Watchers? How many times have you lost weight, only to gain it back again? Listen, all diets work to some extent. The problem is that they don't teach you how to think about eating in a sustainable way. What they teach you is how to diet. Diets don't address those underlying beliefs you have about yourself. Diets try to change you from the outside in, but real change happens from the inside out it's tempting to think of weight loss as something with a finish line. Once you reach your goal weight, you've won. Now you can rest. But that mindset can backfire. Real, lasting change happens when you focus on who you are becoming as part of this process, rather than just the destination. Try imagining it this way. Think of your body weight and your health like a garden, and you are the gardener. You can get that garden looking gorgeous. Garden of the month club. However, If after that, you leave it alone and go back to your old habits, what will happen? Yeah, the weeds will start to grow. If you tend your garden regularly with love and care, it will stay beautiful. Weeds will come up. That's nature. There's nothing wrong with you as the gardener if weeds crop up. The key is to pull the weeds and cultivate your garden on an ongoing basis rather than with a big push towards the finish line. Habits are like onions. Shrek. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Donkey. Example? Shrek. Example? Okay, um, ogres are like onions. And he holds out an onion. Donkey sniffs the onion. You mean they stink? Shrek. Yes. No. Donkey, they make you cry? Shrek. No. Donkey, you leave them out in the sun and they get all brown and start sprouting little white hairs? Shrek. No. Layers! Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers. You get it. We both have layers. And he leaves with a sigh and huffs and walks off. Ah, uh, the movie Shrek. It has such a special place in my heart. On our second date, my husband and I opted for a low-key movie night and rented Shrek from the Blockbuster video near my apartment. We popped in that old VHS tape into the player and felt ourselves falling for each other, just like Shrek and Fiona. Ah. Well, It turns out this all-time great movie is more than just a love story. Who would have thought there'd be so much wisdom in a story about an ogre who just wants to live in his swamp in peace? In the scene I just rather poorly tried to recreate for you, Shrek is trying to explain to Donkey that there's more to ogres than just destroying villages. People look at Shrek and judge him based on the scary ogre they see on the surface, but he wants more from life than that. Habits can be the same way. We think we know how to change habits based on the actions we change on the surface. But there's a lot more to it than that. For example, I have to go to the gym today so I can rock my bikini this summer is a very different message to your subconscious mind than I go to the gym because I like how it makes me feel. I'm just the kind of person who goes to the gym. So let's imagine habit change like the layers of an onion. And in the book, there's this cute drawing of an onion where you've got different layers. You've got the surface where new actions happen Then you've got the intermediate change kind of in the middle. That's where new processes happen. And then in the very center, that's where deep change happens. That's where we get a new identity. So surface change equals new actions. A simple change in behavior is the outside layer of the onion that gets kind of crusty and yellow sometimes. It's surface level change. Just like the outer layer of an onion, surface level behavior change peels away and flakes off easily at the first sign of stress or a break in your routine. Most diets focus only on surface change. Like for example, for the next three weeks, I'm eating only chicken and kale and vegetables. These are the hardest changes to maintain because they have the least depth. Intermediate change happens with new processes. So if we peel back the layers a little and you get a change in your process or how you do things, programs that focus on habit change can have a more lasting effect because they focus on the process rather than the outcome. For example, instead of figuring out what I'll eat in the moment, I'll create a system for meal planning every Sunday. Changes you make to your processes are easier to maintain than service changes because they reduce the number of decisions you have to make in the moment. The deepest level of change happens with a new identity. Deep change happens at the heart of the onion. How you see yourself has changed. You embody the identity of who you are becoming. The core of who you are looks different than it did before. For example, I go to the gym every day because I'm an athlete and athletes work out. Identity-based changes are the easiest to maintain because they are an extension of your beliefs about yourself. When you incorporate the change into your identity, your behavior becomes more about who you are becoming and the kind of person you want to be, rather than striving for some made-up finish line. It's not a one-time thing. It's a practice. It's a discipline. Like you practice yoga or you practice medicine. Quote, improvements are only temporary until they become part of who you are. James Clear. Let's get muddy. I love mud runs. There must be something about my soccer goalie nature that just loves to get dirty. I had done a few over the years, but then I heard about the Spartan race. A mud run with obstacles? Whoa! That seemed completely awesome and completely out of reach for me. I mean, these people swing on ropes and jump over fire and stuff, and you have to do like a million burpees if you mess up. I could never do that. For years, I told myself, wouldn't it be cool to run a Spartan race? But I never signed up because of good old-fashioned fear. Frankly, it scared the hell out of me. Could I actually finish a race like that? What if I failed? I had so much admiration for people who had done them, and yet I couldn't see myself in that same category. (laughs) And then one year, in a fit of New Year's resolution madness, I decided to go for it. I signed up and hit confirm on my registration. I felt this moment of elation, immediately followed by, oh my God, what have I done? For the next five months, my workouts were fueled out of one-third motivation and two-thirds fear. The day of the race, I was so nervous. I made my family get there two hours early. During the race, I just wanted to prove myself that I could do it. And as it turned out, it was a lot of fun. I failed some obstacles miserably, and I completed some that I didn't expect to. And the last obstacle requires you to jump over a small line of logs that are on fire. And I remember as I crossed that finish line, I went straight up to my husband. And I said, we have got to do this together. For weeks after that race, I was riding a high of confidence because I had blown my mind around what I believed I was capable of. Sometimes when we're trying to make a new behavior into a habit, we focus on the action we're taking in order to get a specific result. For example, Action-result-based thinking is like this, I'll go to the gym today, action, because I'm trying to lose weight, result, or I'll choose a salad at the restaurant because I'm on a diet, or I won't eat chocolate for the next 30 days because I'm doing a cleanse. Action-result-based thinking requires a consistent replenishment of motivation and willpower. On the other hand, identity-based actions are a lot easier because they come from within. Identity action-based thinking looks more like this. I am an athlete, identity, and I exercise regularly to stay fit, action. I'm a healthy eater, identity, and salad makes me feel good, action. I'm in tune with my body, and I avoid sugar because of how it impacts my hormones. Running that Spartan race changed my identity. Before it, I operated in action-result thinking. In other words, I worked out for the sole purpose of being able to complete the race. Afterwards, I operated from an identity action-based thinking. For example, I am a Spartan racer and Spartans work out. Your inner identity is the key to hacking your subconscious mind and making healthy choices your normal default behavior. But short of jumping over a bunch of logs on fire, how do you magically go from where you are to where you want to be? Step one, start where you're at. How do you currently see yourself? Are you the kind of person who defaults to ordering fries when you go out unless you're quote on a diet? How do you eat on weekends when you're less strict with yourself? What sort of exercises do you like, if any at all? And any answer is okay. This is not about blame or shame. This is about being honest with yourself and knowing where you're starting from. Step two, how would you like to see yourself? Future you sees herself or himself very differently. Let's call her healthy you. Take a second to imagine your future self. You've lost the weight you want to lose and you're living a whole new lifestyle. What does she eat on a regular basis? How often does she exercise? More importantly, what does healthy you believe about herself? How would she complete this sentence? I am the kind of person who blank. Then step three is take it just one thought at a time. One small step at a time, proactively shift your thinking towards making your healthy habits a permanent part of your identity. Little changes in how you see yourself in the moment lead to big transformations over time. Think of it this way. Let's look at old you and healthy you and put them both on a number line, each at one end. Let's imagine that old you is negative 10, and zero is in the middle, that's neutral. And healthy you is at plus 10. So no matter where you currently are on the number line, you don't have to choose to be either negative 10 or plus 10. There's a whole bunch of variations of choices and thoughts in between negative 10 and plus 10. So for example, let's say you're going to a cookout this weekend, and there's plenty of less than healthy food choices. How can you go from, let's say, a negative nine choice to a negative seven choice? So here's how this might look on the number line. Negative 10 old you might say, well, my diet is ruined. I might as well eat whatever. So bring on the burgers and the fries and the beer and the dessert. If we look at, let's say, a negative seven old you, that person might say, I love burgers and fries, but I could possibly skip the dessert. Now let's think about like negative one. That's more neutral you. She might say, I love me some fries, but I don't care that much about the bun. So I'll have my fries, but no bun. And maybe I'll just have a small portion of dessert. And then let's take it even further. Let's say a plus one, still kind of neutral, would be the desserts here aren't really ones that I love and they're worth the calories for me. So I'll skip that for now. And I'll really enjoy some fries because they taste better. And I'll skip the bun and add a few veggies from the veggie tray. Now, if we wanted to go up the scale and say maybe a plus seven of healthy you might say, boy, I really wish there was a salad here because burgers and fries make my stomach feel awful. But there is a veggie tray. I'll fill up with that and maybe I'll have a burger with no bun. And then if we went all the way to the top of the scale, let's say plus 10 healthy you might say, there's a veggie tray here. Plus there's lettuce to go on top of my burger patty. I can make a burger salad out of this and create some yummy goodness. Basically, what I'm saying is you don't need to feel obligated to make the perfect plus 10 choice all the time. And even if you try to, that might be a lot of pressure to put on yourself and that could lead to giving up. Leveling up your choices from not so great, to maybe not amazing, but better, to neutral, to kind of okay, to pretty good, over time and consistently is how you go from old you to healthy you. Go on a treasure hunt. If you want to change your identity to the person you're becoming, first you need to know who you want to become. Then you need to train your brain to look for evidence to prove to yourself that you are becoming that person. Think about your future self. Future you has gotten to where you want to go. Future you feels great and feels confident about being able to maintain their weight. Complete the sentence. Future me is the kind of person who... What does future you think about? How does future you feel about food? How does future you eat or behave on weekends, on vacations, during the holidays? What are the things that future you wants to eat? And what are the things that future you doesn't want to eat? When you notice a craving and ask yourself, what would my future self think about X? Would they want it? What would future me be thinking in this moment? The more you can get your brain into thinking the way that future you thinks naturally, the faster and easier it will be to become future you then get to work looking for examples of how you acted like future you in little ways today. An important part of the process of changing your identity is to internalize your successes. Remember the brain is always looking for evidence to prove its beliefs right. The identity you have now is based on the evidence you have from the past. Little wins are like buried treasure that will accumulate into a treasure trove of new beliefs. Make a big deal out of your small wins. Huge change is built on the back of tiny pieces of evidence, proving to your brain that you actually can become the person you want to be. Little bits of proof are the breadcrumbs your subconscious mind needs to follow in order to buy into the person you are becoming. Train your brain to look for those treasures and pieces of proof with open-ended questions. For example, what's an example of how I took good care of myself today? Or how did I show up for myself today? Or what's a tiny way that I am making progress? Give your brain a puzzle to solve in the form of an open-ended question, and it will get to work finding the answer for you.